0: thank for James. We thank you for all that he brings to us. We thank you for what he's giving to us as church and we pray now your blessing upon him as he brings your word to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rod. Wonderful. Morning, everyone. Good, morning. Good to see you all. Uh, we're in a series called Discover Life. We mentioned uh, we're... Changing the name in January to Life Church Beckles, hence the series name Discover Life. And we're discovering what we're about as a church, um, what our aim is, and we're, we're going through our aim. We've said that we're, our aim as a church is to make disciples of Jesus, who this is what the Lord has given to us. The Lord Jesus has called us to, uh, as Christians and as a church, to live life together as church family and in friendship. To learn to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus and to love God with worship and service, and Beckles and beyond with words, works, and wonders. And this week we're focusing on this aspect, to live in friendship. Um, This is quite a key series, so if you perhaps miss a week, you're not here one week, um, Paul Cracknell does a a great job of just posting them up on... Where's Paul? There he is. Shall we thank Paul? He puts them up every week, really faithfully. (laughs) gets... Get, gets them up there pretty much straight after, and you can you can listen in. So if you miss if you miss one of these, do try. you, you can even put us on double speed. I I do, and I've got a catch up. I put Rod on double speed. Uh, if you just want to do it just for a laugh, that's that's good fun, but also quite quite useful for keeping up with the series. I don't know why I sound like in double speed, but. Yeah. <laughs> um, but do do stick with us in the series. There's some really key things uh, that we're talking. About And today we're looking at what it means to live life together in friendship. Um, statistics show that there's a correlation between good, strong, healthy relationships and even our physical health. It shows that good, strong, re- healthy relationships are good for us. And one study says that uh, those with good, strong, healthy relationships report that they're ill less, they recover quicker, that their um, life expectancy is extended by up to 20%, which I think is about roughly the same as stopping smoking. Um, you have better mental health, they report being happier, more able to cope with trauma, they sleep better, and they're able to resist destruct- self-destructive habits. So science kind of tells us really what uh, is common sense, that good, healthy relationships are good for us, and therefore we tend to want them, don't we? don't know about you, but one of my favourite programmes growing up was called Friends was all about a group of friends living life together. Perhaps you're of the Cheers generation. But we often love those shows. They're often like you know, the big show that everyone's into. It's about friendship, about living life together. And relationships are good, but they, they can hurt as well, can't they? They can actually be quite painful sometimes. But we benefit from them significantly when life is difficult. Because good friendships, good relationships are not just for when life is good and fun. But they're there for when life is tough, when life gets hard, when it's difficult, when it's bumpy. Uh, one study uh, over 25 years, um, 25 years ago, people reported having at least three good friends. The same study did it 25 years later. People report just having two good friends. A YouGov uh, Movember survey Uh, said that 51% of men say they have two or less friends they can share serious life issues with. 50% of Brits perceive society as being a lonelier place. Two in five Londoners sense a prevailing drift from friends. And yet, in society, we've never had so much technology at our fingertips, have we, to socially connect? It's greater than it ever has been. And yet this is the kind of drift that we're seeing in society, the difficulty we're having with friendship. In fact, one writer says this, Growing research suggests we could be entering a period of crisis for the entire concept of friendship. Where's all this leading modern-day society? Perhaps to a dark place, one where electronic stimuli slowly replace the joys of human contact. I wonder what your experience of friendship is. Maybe you're sat here thinking of... Thank God it's not like that for me. Or maybe you're here and you're thinking, actually, that sounds a bit like what my life is like. I struggle to have good, strong, healthy friendships with others. Perhaps it's a part of life that you find particularly difficult. And the church isn't immune from it, are we? We're not immune to what's going out there in society. This is the backdrop to how we live our lives. This is what's going on in the world that we live in. And um, in order to kind of combat that, there's a need for us, isn't there, to be intentional about creating and cultivating close friendships, isn't there? It doesn't just happen, you have to work hard at it, then you? Cultivate strong friendships amongst us in church and with others. And so today I'm going to start off where I left off and rushed a bit last time. In that, If we were thinking about uh, Jesus' review of us as a church, a bit like when you get online shopping and you see reviews, what would, what would we want first? Our... Review of Life Church Beckles to be. Would we want it to people to say, oh, "There's good coffee there, it's a good cup of beforehand. Not about the rest, but at least when you arrive, there's a good cup of coffee there. The seats are comfortable. You know, if you're not enjoying it so much, at least you're comfy where you are. You have a bit of a snooze. Uh, would we want people to say it's nice music or uplifting, inspirational speakers, or would we want them to say? Um, that there's creative resources. What would we want people to say about us as a church? And I said that Jesus's review over us, what would we want it to be? That they love one another. That's what we want the Lord to say of us, isn't it? That they love one another. And uh, it's in our passage this morning. We're in John 15, uh, verses 12 um, to 17, well, hopefully. Pop up on the screen. John 15, verses 12 to 17. I've been living in this passage for a, a month or so now and been thoroughly enjoying it and so glad that I got to speak on something which means I can use the passage. So that's what we're going to do. Um, Liam, is, or, is it going to click along? I'm trying, but it's not. Thanks, Bruce. Great. So let's read together. This is my commandment. This is Jesus speaking that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. And what's he commanding us here? To love one another as I have loved you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my Father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, and he says it again, so that you will love one another. What what the kind of friendships we want to cultivate? They're friendships of love, loving one another. And the first thing that the kind of love that we're to have for one another is that that love is rooted in friendship with Jesus and his love for us. We've been singing about this morning. It was just in the last song. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. It's the God of angel armies who's always by my side as a friend. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. What a wonderful thing to be able to declare. He is a friend of mine. Jesus says to us in these verses, doesn't he, verse 14 and 15, You are my friends. You. That is Jesus' word to you. You are my friends. He says, you are my friends. I've called you friends. And last week he said, here are my brothers and sisters. When I was at university, I had a friend called Mark, who was the first friend I made. We kind of connected because we both been on gap years to sub-Saharan Africa. We were sharing stories of what our gap years had been like, and we walked and talked for hours. It was one of those friendships where you get talking to someone before you know it, four hours has passed, and you think, oh, should we go for a dinner? And it, kind of, it just went from there, and we spent our days together. And then Mark introduced me to a friend of his from his course called Toby, and Toby and I Uh, had a common friendship with Mark and became friends with one another. And we became really good friends and ended up being uh, Toby's best man. And it's like that for us as a family of people who are in friendship with one another. What is the reason that you can be friends with the person who has sat with you this morning? It's probably not that you have the same hobby or the same interest or you're the same age or same stage of life or whatever it might be. You're friends on the basis of your friendship with Jesus. Just like Mark introduced me to Tobin, we were friends on the basis that we both knew Mark. You and I, us with one another, are friends on the basis of the fact that we are first friends with Jesus, that we can all say and sing together, the one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. And uh, earlier in the book um, 14, verse 8, Philip says, to Jesus, show us the Father. Oh no, I'm in the wrong place. That's why it doesn't make sense. Yeah, there I am. Sorry. So, our friendship with one another is on the basis of us being friends with one another. That's the foundation of how we relate to one another. And I was just looking at, um, Romans 12. No. I was looking at Romans 16. <laughs> I was looking at Romans 16 and reading through that. And, it's one of those ends of a book where Paul just seems to kind of just be kind of signing off a letter. But actually, he's, he's talking about what real friendship looks like. He's writing to the church in Rome, and these are some of the things he says in Romans 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, that you may welcome her in the Lord. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, Greet my beloved uh, oh, Apennatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Andronicus and Juni- uh, Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Abanus, our fellow worker in Christ. Greet Apelles who is approved in Christ. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen, in the Lord. What is the basis of all Paul's friendships with all of these people? It's in the Lord. That's how our friendships with one another connect. That's how we know one another. That's how we... Uh, Our friends together, it's in the Lord. Our union with Jesus Christ, the fact that we've been placed in Christ, is the reason for our friendship with one another. All of us, our sin has been credited to Jesus. He's died in our place uh, for our sins. He's died on the cross for us. He's risen again from the dead for us. God the Father now deals with all of us in Christ as those who are forgiven, those who are chosen, those who are clean, pure and adopted into the family, all of us, called friends of God, along with Abraham, by faith. It's on this basis, now that we relate to one another, because God, through Christ, has brought us together. Our union with Christ, is the basis of our friendship. And I'm going to talk a bit later in uh, this morning, about the fruit of being rooted in friendship, with Jesus together, being love. it's, It's a fruit... If we're friends with Jesus, that's the thing that bears fruit in our life. And he says that in the passage. And it's a love that's sincere, sacrificial and evident. But the reality is you don't get love like that without being first rooted in Jesus. Or to rhyme it, you don't get the fruit without the roots. This doesn't quite work, does it, with the S? You don't get a fruit without the roots. You're got to be rooted in Jesus to get the fruit of loving one another as Jesus has loved us. Which is what he says in verse 12, isn't it? Love one another how? As I have loved you. As I've loved you. So first, we need to know and experience, don't we, the love that Jesus has for us. To know it deep, to experience it and enjoy it and live in the good of his love for us. This is kind of, I think, near the passage that Rod read to us earlier. Beloved, this is John writing, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, i.e. it begins with him, it finds its origins in him. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Those who love as I've loved you, you first know me and my love for you, and then you love others. It's in this the love of God was made manifest amongst us, made present and visible, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We love because we first know God and his love for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, then we are also to love one another. So First, God has loved us. We know his love for us in a concrete way because Jesus has died on the cross for us in our place. And having experienced and known his love for us at a deep level, not just on an intellectual kind of, oh, that's an idea, I get understand that formula. He died in my place and therefore I'm free of my sin. It's not just something you know in your head, it's something you feel deep down. You know, God loves me. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And you experience it and know it. And out of that, you love others. God's love flows through us to others. We first know, experience enjoy the love of God for us. But it, it can be quite common, can't it, to find church friendships quite difficult. I don't know if you've you had that experience where you're in church and it's meant to be family and meant to be a place where you find friendship on a deeper level because you both know Christ and he's the one who's joined you together but it just doesn't seem to click, maybe no natural friendships. There's no one in my stage of life Nobody kind of my age, nobody who I naturally get on with has the kind of same hobbies and interests as I do. That's nobody quite like me, nobody who lives near me. It's easy to dismiss the possibility of genuinely close friendship with others on the basis of things of the divisions of the flesh that I was talking about last week, of age, of stage of life, where you're from or live, your job, career, your social class or status, your gender, your educational background your church background, your political leaning, your financial status, your hobby and interest. There's no bad thing wanting friendships based on those things, is it? I'm sure we've all got friendships with people based on some of those things. I enjoy going uh, to watch football. So I have friends who like watching football as well. I enjoy swimming. So I have friends who are into swimming. I enjoy eating out. So I went out last Saturday with friends and we ate out together. It's good to have friendships on that basis. But in the church, even though you won't necessarily find natural relationships, natural friendships, you will always find supernatural friendships. You won't always have a natural friend in church life, but you will always have supernatural friendships. What do I mean by that? Relationships that are based on our union with Jesus together, the fact that he is our common friend not necessarily based on our likes or dislikes and the rest of it. And it's tempting to try and comfort one another and try to be a kind of pseudo-natural friend to each other. Oh, you like that, and there's no really in church who likes that kind of thing. Let me do that thing with you for a while so that you'll feel like you've got a friend. But even though you clearly don't love the thing as much as the other person does, yeah, I'll come along and do that with you. And as you're doing it, they're, you don't seem to be that into this. Because uh, that's not the thing that draws us together, it's good to empathise with one another and be accommodating to each other but the answer is the truth of the gospel it's the truth of the gospel that in Christ we are friends united by him and that's the basis of loving friendship in church life that produces strong healthy, rich, reliable friendships because my friendships with others whilst it's great to kind of able to have a friendship based on football. I can no longer play football that well. And so I've lost a bit of my friendship with guys who play football because they say come along. And I say I can't come along. I can hobble along but it's difficult for me to enjoy it in the same way with you. Whereas friends here actually it's based on something that's totally reliable and that will never change on the basis of our relationship with Jesus. So love amongst friends, that's rooted in friendship with Jesus. The second thing, a love that is sincere. Love one another as friends with the love that's sincere. Jesus says in verse 15, he tells us what this kind of love is like. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. What he's saying is, our friendships with one another are not to be superficial, we're not servants who doesn't really truly know their master or maybe for language we'd be familiar with. It's not like relating to your boss who's your senior and superior and who you might be on friendly terms with but you don't possibly know in a deep way. You don't quite know the conversations he's having behind or she's having behind closed doors and what they're really like. But you do have some sort of relationship. No, Jesus is saying our relationship with him goes deeper than that. Um, in chapter 14, verse 8, Philip says, Show us the Father. And Jesus says, Whoever sinned me has seen the Father. Everything the Father is like, I'm showing you. I'm holding nothing back. There's nothing about my seniority or superiority that means I have to kind of keep a little bit of distance from you, like a, a boss or a superior at work might. I've revealed everything about the Father to you. And our relationship with the Father through Jesus is something that's genuine, it's sincere, it's authentic. In fact, earlier in Romans, Paul writes this in verse 9. Let love be sincere. Let your love be sincere or genuine. And uh, the word for genuine or sincere there is uh, anipokritos, Anipocytos, which is apocrytos which comes from the Greek word for hypocrite. And a hypocrite in that society at the time of writing was an actor who played a role wearing a mask, pretending and feigning to be something that they weren't, acting and entertaining. So when Paul writes here, let your love be sincere, he's saying, let your love be without a mask. Let your love be without a mask. Let it be genuine, sincere, authentic. So what does friendship without a mask look like? What kind of mask can we wear? I'll just give three examples. I'm sure there are many, but here's three I could think of. We can wear identity masks. But that I mean ways in which we want to portray ourselves to others. Maybe to feel part of the crowd, to be accepted, to feel like part of what's going on, an identity mask. I'm kind of one of you. Let me behave this way so that you can see I'm part of us. You probably remember the experience of being a teenager is a bit like that, doesn't it? You know, when you're trying to make friends and you're a bit uncertain of who you are, you're going, like, well, if I behave like this. I can't. I don't know, I went to other stories. Um, I haven't got time for it. But, um, but our loving friendships with one another are in Christ, aren't they? They're founded on the basis that we are already part of the crowd. Yeah? Were you once a sinner and now saved and totally forgiven? Great, you're in. <laughs> well done. Welcome. You don't have to put a mask on and go, I'm like this. I'm this type of Christian. I've got to use this type of language, pray in this kind of way, sing my songs and behave like this. You don't need to do that. You're already in. You don't have to do anything else. What other kind of masks? We can wear emotional masks. We can hide our true feelings and emotions from others to protect ourselves from being hurt. Maybe to even eventually hide them some, from ourselves. So we're not even quite sure how we actually feel ourselves. But loving friendships in Christ mean us being vulnerable with one another. That there would be some friendships you would have here where there would be no no-go areas. You could literally share anything that was going on in your heart and life with the other person. It doesn't mean that every time somebody says, <laughs> how are you? Oh! <gasps> And you pour yourself out to every single person. This Sunday morning would be quite draining if we all did that, didn't it? wouldn't it? And it's not that every friendship with every person in the room, you will pour everything out to them. But it doesn't mean you can probably be honest. So I won't go into it, but this week's been really tough. Rather than just saying the usual, I'm fine, thanks. Yeah? Being honest and sincere with one another in how we're actually feeling. Uh, situational masks. That enable us to adjust to social situations with certain rules. You kind of put on a situational mask. I'm in this kind of. You you kind of. When I went into teaching, you kind of need that type of mask. I can't entirely behave how I do outside of school in this context because it wouldn't be appropriate. And I would be in the headmaster's office after a while, or somebody would just look and go, "That's a bit strange around children. I can probably be a little bit more professional than that." And they're appropriate sometimes, aren't they? But with one another. We don't have to toe a certain line in order to be here amongst us and be in friendships. We're all aware that in Christ we've been forgiven. We're all not Jesus yet, so we all know there's something wrong with each of us. When somebody goes, I've really sinned this week, and I bet, I go, yeah, I bet you have. I mean, yeah, so have I. <laughs> it's not a surprise. If you're coming to somebody's share, I've got something to confess. Yeah, probably me too. <laughs> Let's chat. Because none of us are Jesus yet. We're all learning to be more like him. And so we're free to be sincere with one another and be sincerely loved. When we do that, we're able to actually love the real person. If you put the mask on, the person is loving the mask and you won't actually feel the love that person has for you because they're not really loving you. They're loving the mask that you put on for them. And that's no good. Take the mask off. Sincerely show the person who you are so that they can love you sincerely. Love that is sacrificial, or love for one another as friends is to be sacrificial. Jesus says in verse 13, greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. The greatest act of love in the history of the world is an act of sacrifice. Brutal Sacrifice. Jesus laying his life down for us, being whipped, beaten, mocked, scorned, humiliated and executed in public, naked, on a cross, dying in our place for our sin. That's the greatest act of love the world has ever seen. And Jesus on the cross is vulnerable, isn't he? He's exposed his arms outstretched on the cross. And if we're to love one another, then we should expect that sometimes the experience of loving others who are our friends to feel the same. That sometimes we're a bit vulnerable. We're a bit exposed to others. John writes this in his letter, by this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to, to lay down our lives for our brothers. We follow Jesus by laying our life down for one another, just as Jesus did for us. And this kind of love costs. It costs us something, doesn't it? It costs us to really love someone else, whatever that might be. But it makes ourselves vulnerable to others. It helps; it means that we're full a bit exposed. And the consequence is, that we feel hurt sometimes, don't we? We feel rejected by people. We can suffer disappointment. You thought somebody was a friend and you thought they'd love you and they didn't particularly well. That costs us. And we think, oh, I don't want to do that again. don't want to open myself up to others. Perhaps that's been our experience of friendships in church life, that you expose yourself. You've made yourself vulnerable to someone and it hurt in the end, because they didn't love you back the way that you were loving them. And the hurt and the pain and the disappointment of it can really affect us, can't it? And then we can do things to try to protect ourselves. We can kind of pull back from friendships, distance ourselves from others. We can um, yeah, do whatever we can to try and not make that same thing happen again to us. Perhaps you have a bit of a fear of it happening again, just taking hold. You stop going to house group, or you stop meeting up with a friend, or you don't talk to anyone about it. We all have times, don't we, where we're hurt by people that we love, and you thought the people that you love most would love you back, and you get hurt by them. So how do we get past that? How do we get over the disappointment and the pain and the hurt in those situations? Well, the first thing is, Jesus says, forgive. Forgive. When Jesus was laying down his life for us, what was he doing? He was forgiving us for what we've done to him. He was forgiving us. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. What does being kind and tender-hearted to one another look like? Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We forgive what's the second thing we can do to help us out of that it's to cast out fear by loving again it's quite a courageous thing to do isn't it quite a bold thing to do cast out fear by loving again john says this again in his letter there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever has not been perfected whoever fears has not been perfected in love See, loving again is the answer to fear. The fear that might cause us to hide or pull back or distance ourselves from others. Because fear punishes the other person, doesn't it? Punishes them. You hurt me. And you punish them by distancing yourself from them. But ultimately, you punish yourself as well, don't you? Because you distance yourself from the friendship that has the potential to love you. If we pull pull back from one another in church life, we distance ourselves from the friendships which enables us to receive the love of God. And actually we don't experience the love of God in the deepest measure that we could do, and therefore we can start feeling adrift of God as well. Because we know God's love for us by the love that we experience through one another. So when we forgive, when we love again, when we draw near to others, in sacrificial loving friendship, fear is cast out. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard. If you genuinely be hurt by a friend, to love again and draw near is hard to do. Sometimes it's really difficult to do, isn't it? Sometimes people use the language of it being impossible. Is anything impossible with God? We just sung this morning, didn't we? Romans 5.5 says this, that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Later on in those verses, Christ died for the who? For the ungodly. God shows uh, his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we hated God, even when we were his enemy, even when we ignored him, and pretended he wasn't part of our life and he had nothing to do with us when we distanced ourselves from him still then he loved us, he died for us and he laid down his life for us and when beloved friends hurt us, ignore us distance themselves from us disappoint us ask God once again to pour his love into your heart by his Holy Spirit to enable you To love again. To draw near, to move towards, to understand, to listen, to confront. Those things are tough and painful, but it's actually how Jesus has loved us. That while we were still sinners, he died for us. The greatest act of love was not on the basis of how good we were of being his friends. It was actually because we were not good friends that he died for us. Just to give a personal example, um, my housemates were called Mike and Dan before I got married. And uh, Dan was a really, really good friend. Dan is the, is the kind of guy, he's, such a, he's a faithful friend. He's steady, he's reliable, he loves Jesus with his whole heart, he serves sacrificially. He was a great housemate and friend. And when I was giving my groom speech at my wedding, I acknowledged my friendship with Dan and Mike and how good friends they'd been, but I slipped in a comment that gave a window into a conversation we'd had as housemates, which didn't particularly in the context honour Dan. In fact, it made him, people probably look at him in a different way. It probably shamed him a little bit publicly, um, and it hurt him. exposed him in a way that I shouldn't have. And uh, a couple of weeks after the wedding, I met all with Dan for a coffee at uni. And I said, how are you feeling after the wedding? He said, not great, mate. That, the way you spoke it in this speech, that actually that hurt quite a lot. And I've just been trying to deal with that. But I forgive you. And I said, I'm really sorry. I realised once I said it, it wasn't in my notes. And I should stay on my notes. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I shamed you publicly. I really think so much of you as a friend. And I wish I'd made that clear in my speech. And he forgave me. And our friendship has continued. And we see each other regularly. And that friendship means a lot to me. And it's only carried on because it costs Dan to forgive me. And continue to love me and draw near. Even though I'd hurt him pretty bad. So love that's sacrificial. Final one. Love that's evident. Jesus says in verse 16. You didn't choose me but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. It should last. Back to our online uh, review. Why do we want Jesus to say that it's that we love one another? Why not that we love God? Surely that would be better because Jesus' greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. The reason is, is because love for one another is how love for God is grounded in this world. Love for God, love for one another, is how love for God is grounded in this life and in this world. It's not possible to say, that person, they just love God, but they're rotten to other people. They're a bit of a pain, actually. We kind of have to put up with them. It's not possible their love for God would be demonstrated in their love towards others. This is what John says in his letter, 1 John 4:12. No one has ever seen God. You can't see him. But he says, if we love one another, where am I? If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I.e., when we love one another, people can walk into it and see it. God's love perfected in people as we love one another, forgive one another, care for one another, confess our sins to one another, greet one another, etc., etc. We can know, experience, and enjoy the love of God through the concrete expressions in which we love each other. People can see and know that God is love amongst us. And what does that love look like? Here's some four brief things. First, it's grace-filled. I was in the park last Sunday after church And a really awkward conversation I get over here. Two ladies were meeting up with their kids. We're all playing on the playground equipment. And they start having this conversation where one of them says, thanks so much for getting the coffees again. And then the other lady goes, something along the lines of, yeah, I've I've got quite a few the last few times. I think uh, you owe me quite a bit. Jokingly, but kind of slightly passive-aggressively, by the way, you kind of owe me one. And the other lady starts going, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, you got me this one, you got me last week. And then, oh, I think I got the one the time before that. <laughs> and, on Sunday they're, oh. and they're kind of having this conversation about trying to work out who owes who for how many coffees. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, you're cringing inside. To kind of, oh. Sebby, let's go and play somewhere else for a minute. Because friendship's not quite like that, is it? It's not tit for tat. It's not, I gave you this, so you owe me that. Friendships aren't contractual in that way, are they? True loving friendships, they're sacrificial. They're not, by the way, I'll sacrifice this. As long as you give me this. Jesus didn't go, I'll die on the cross. Just one thing though. <laughs> he didn't do that. It's not a tit for tat kind of arrangement. In fact, Romans 13.8 says this. Owe no one anything. Owe no one anything. Except to love each other. Except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In fact, you, you love, that's the law complete. Grace-filled friendships of love don't keep track on who owes what. Um, they don't keep score. They don't play tit for tat. They're not based on some unwritten but acknowledged contract. They're based on God's immeasurable love for us. We could never pay God back. And that's the way that we express our love for one another. Grace-filled. Uh, secondly growing, love that is growing. Paul says this, he writes to the church in Thessalonians, in Thessalonica, and he says this, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Basically, Paul's going, you could, you could love one another a bit more. That's what he's saying in this letter, you? you could love one another a bit more. But later on, he actually says this in chapter 4, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. He says, in fact, you're a very loving bunch. You really love each other well. And then he's got the guts to say this. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do this more and more. So you're a really loving bunch. You don't need anybody to write to you about this. But by the way, do it more and more. (laughs) You do it loads. Do it more and more. He says in his second letter to them, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, because the love of every one of you for one another is increasing they followed his encouragement he writes to the Philippians and it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more is there love for one another here? yes of course there is, you can see it could we love one another more? you bet you if Paul were writing us a letter he'd say it, you guys you you love one another really well do it more he'd say I heard you Love one another more. Why? It's how people see God. So nobody's seeing God. They're not going to see him. But they, they might experience God and see him amongst you if you love one another more and more and more. Third, it's practical. Um, no one's seeing God like I was saying, but they can know him and know that God is loved by seeing him made visible in our life in practical ways. What kind of practical ways? Well, When we greet one another... You know, if we greet one another with a cold handshake that's oh, that what's done around here, is it? If there's warm hugs and affection and smiles towards one another, then it's a demonstration of the warmth and a family atmosphere, the love that we have amongst our friendships. We can have one another over for a meal. That's a great way to extend friendship with one another, isn't it? I say I say this a lot, don't I? Eat together. If you're in a house group, eat together. We do it at least, try to, at least. It's a thing that's very difficult to do. But we try to eat together once a month. Somebody said to me the other day, it was, James, you say that a lot when you're preaching. That's a bit of a James thing, isn't it? And I was like, well, I do like eating. So admittedly, I like food and I like eating it with other people. But this is a Jesus thing. If you read the Gospels... Jesus is always either up a mountain praying or on his way to or from or in a meal, pretty much. If you read the Gospels, he's doing it all the time. I'll give you some examples. Jesus, at the Last Supper, when he tells us to break bread, what's that over? It's a meal. And he tells us to do what when we're together? Have a meal. Now, I know practically we have the bread and the wine And we're not eating it over a meal. But if we could, that would be good, wouldn't it? That would probably be more faithful to what Jesus has asked us to do to eat together over a meal and then break bread together. Some other example when Jesus, you know, when he restores Peter and he says to him three times, Do you love me? And then he says, You know, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. And he restores Peter because he denied him three times. Where's Jesus doing that? great act of pastoral shepherding. What are they doing at the time? They're on the beach. They've just caught fish. He's got a fire going and they've grilled it there and then. They're having fish and chips on the beach. That's, that, that's the setting of that moment. What about miracles? How does he, he does what? He feeds 5,000 people. How? What is that setting? Jesus goes, no, the disciples say to him, we should eat. Because obviously, that's what they did a lot of the time. And Jesus goes, yeah, we haven't got any food, have we? They go, oh, this boy's got a packed lunch. Great, let's have this boy's pack lunch. Miracle. 5,000 people get fed. More will probably be more likely 20,000, because it was just counting the men. 20,000 people get fed. What about the, the fish? Where are they at? They're out fishing. Why are they out fishing all the time? Because they need to eat. Yeah. Jesus says, throw your nets over the other side. And they catch a huge catch of fish to do what with? To eat and feed all the crowds that they keep eating with. Most of the miracles, Jesus, well, not most of them, that's not true. But a lot of Jesus' miracles are just so he can feed the huge number of people who come to him and then go, where's the food? And last week's passage, what are the crowd in Jesus' house saying? It was so crowded, we couldn't even eat. But that's what we would have normally been doing with Jesus, because that's what you do with Jesus, is you eat with him. So, if we want to love one another, eating. That's the way Jesus loved his disciples. They were around the table regularly eating. So it's not a James thing, it's a Jesus thing. Trust me. Um, I'm sure I'll pre I've got a whole sermon on that, and I'm sure I'll do it at some other point. But just for now, trust me, and eat together. That'd be good. Um, we can phone call one another, can't we? We can share our problems with each other, invite one another into our homes, give gifts, share resources, shoulder bur- burdens, Forgive one another and not hold grudges. We can be gracious in our words to each other. We can not gossip. We build each other up, speak well of each other, encouraging one another and sacrifice time for each other. And the final thing, we can pray with and for one another. Jesus says in verse 16, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He's reminding us that the Father loves us bless, and wants to bless us. And do us good. Okay, coming into land now. Um, <coughs> these are two seas. I think I can, do a, I can do a light here, can't I? Hey, here we go. I haven't got the elbow pads, but I can do a geography teacher thing here. Um, here's the, this, this lake that's here is called the Sea of Galilee. Um, and you can see a faint line here, which is the River Jordan, which flows into it. And then the River Jordan flows out of it down here into this sea here. Anybody know what this sea here is called? The Dead Sea, yeah. And these two seas are very close to each other. They're they're sourced by the same river. And the Sea of Galilee is full of life. There's plenty of fish. Fishermen make their living out of it. Children play in it. There's greenery around. Birds feed from it. It's a wonderful sight. You go a bit further down to the Dead Sea, and it's called the Dead Sea, because there is no life. There is no fish. There's no children to play in it. And no fishermen make their living from it. They're both fed from the same river, the River Jordan in Palestine. The first goes into the Sea of Galilee and then out again into the Dead Sea. Why is the Dead Sea dead? It's because it's got too much salt in it. It's stagnant. Why? Because it doesn't give out. It only takes in. It doesn't give out. It only takes in. The Sea of Galilee takes in and receives from the River Jordan, and then it gives out. And as a result, it's full of life. And we want Life Church Beckles to be a place where we take in, don't we? Where we receive the love of God for us, and then we give it out as abundantly as it has been given to us. Freely we've received, so freely we give. We pour out our love for one another and for others, so that. We're a place that's full of, we're a people that are full of life. Where there's plenty of fish, to use metaphorically. Jesus says, I'll make you catchers of fish, doesn't he? Fishers of men. Fishers of men. (laughs) He says elsewhere, I'll I'll help you catch fish. Um, It will be a place full of life, plenty of fish. Children will play in it. It'll be a wonderful sight. That would be, that's what we want, isn't it? Jesus to say, hey, that church, they love, one another. Should we respond in worship? Yeah? Should we stand together? I'll pray and we'll, we'll sing. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Thank you Lord Jesus, you died for the ungodly. Thank you that you didn't wait for something about us to go, oh, I like that and them. I think I'll, I'll love them. Um, But you just loved us because you decided to. Thank you, Lord. This is the immeasurable love that you have for us, that we were your enemies. We were opposed to you. We were ignoring you. We were not interested in you. We were not living life for you as we should. And yet, still, you loved us and died for us. You laid down your life for us so that you could call us friends. Um, We just pray, Lord, would you help us know and experience at a deeper level your love for us. That's what we pray first and foremost, Lord. Help us realise just how much you love us. Let that go deep into our hearts, Lord, because we understand those are the roots of our loving one another and of our friendship together is first understanding our friendship with you and that you have loved us in Christ. Thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. Help us know it deep down and help us express it to one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.